Welcome to the Action Research Podcast, somehow the first podcast dedicated solely to action research. Each episode, action research experts Adam and Joe explore facets of this research methodology. Speaking with experienced and emerging action researchers, they aim to contribute to this important and growing field and understand the nuance and process of action research in action. Thanks for tuning in. Now, on to your hosts. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Action Research Podcast. Thanks for being patient with us. We try and get one of these out every month, but sometimes we're all just too busy in, in our own worlds is really what's been going on here. and We haven't been able to get a recording together, but we are here. We are back. We've got one of our favorite guests on today, Dr. Alfredo Ortiz Aragon. Alfredo, how's it going? Going good. Good to, good to see and hear from you guys again. Likewise. Yeah, we missed you. Joe, you're also here. You're here in Peru in the Sacred Valley. How's it going? It's good. Good to uh, be recording again. All right, so let's get back on track. You guys ready to roll with this? Yeah, and just for the listeners, uh, Adam's wearing a shirt that says Altiplano. What does it say? What else does it say? Altiplano. It says, Alti... Resiste. Okay. La, la, la Sierra no se vende. La Sierra se defiende. Okay, bien. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, just in honor of that, I just uh, changed my screen, even though people can't see it, to um, the view of Cotopaxi behind Quito, Ecuador, where I used to live for, for several years. Sweet. Yeah, it's looking good. It's a good background. Thanks for doing that. Okay, so today we are finally recording an episode that we've been kind of dancing around for months, if not years at this point, frankly. And it's a topic that we've we've touched on i think in a few recordings in the past for the podcast but more so kind of off air and we're always kind of saying like we, we get these we have these rich conversations we always talk about how we need to just bring it to the surface in, a, in an episode so, so that's what we're going to be doing today essentially we're going to be talking about the what and why is research in action research in a sense, it's something that the three of us, and I'm sure many action researchers out there can understand and grapple with and kind of make the case for both sides, for the action side, for the research side, for a balanced side. And if you really start breaking it down, there's a lot to talk about as it relates to research and action research. It's a really rich topic and one that needs to be discussed, for example, how we have benefited from theory and research, right? As action researchers, what is knowledge production in action research? And also like how do action researchers implicitly or explicitly use theory in their work? And I can kind of go on and on about like the robustness of this topic and the different avenues that we can take this conversation. So we're gonna try and keep it relatively tight, at least for this first episode. It could be a topic that we circle back to in the future. But to kick it off, I'm going to pass the mic to our guest, Dr. Alfredo Ortiz Aragon, to share a story with us about how he incorporated theory into his dissertation. He shared the story with us a couple of weeks ago when we were planning for this episode, and we thought it could be a good way to kick off the episode and share that story with you all, our listeners. So, Alfredo, do you mind? No, I don't mind at all. Thank you. Um, and I have to start off by admitting uh, what I did my PhD in England at the Institute for Development Studies. 
and that's called a research intensive degree. And I remember when I was applying, you had to send in a research proposal. So there you don't develop the research proposal uh, once, once you get there, although you do continue to develop it there. To get in, you have to develop one. So I remember sending mine off and a, a, a friend of mine who had uh, done a master's degree that was a little bit more academic, he was like, are you going to put any literature in that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm framing this problem, which is like, you know, I've been working for years in international development and I'm tired of all this creative yet superficial work that I thought we were doing, uh, working in what we call organizational capacity building with many nonprofits and other local organizations all over Latin America and, uh, other regions, but me primarily in, in, in different countries in Latin America. And, uh, it's like, oh yeah, it's a PhD. Okay, what do you suggest? My my point is just to say that I came from a practice background. Of course, I had read things here and there, but it didn't occur to me that I had to like consult literature. And so, um, I, I started off from very much of uh, a lack of understanding of these things. Um, so, the example that I'll give is from my dissertation. Once I once I had already gotten into the program and I started working on things, what I found was. I was able to describe the challenges that I felt um, related to feeling like my work had been very creative but superficial, that just as we were uh, getting to great ideas, we would all we would wrap end the good conversation and turn that into an action plan that kind of killed the buzz and and just sent people on their ways with a supposed plan to improve their futures, whether that was an organization or or uh, or, or local actors. And I, I just, I was very frustrated. I was, it, it, I was also frustrated with what I was calling this linear way of looking at things where like all these different organizations that we worked with seemed to be just content to implement their projects, rarely collaborate with anyone, rarely think about whether the things that they were doing were actually contributing to any bigger change. And I thought of myself as a systemic thinker, even though I didn't really know a lot about what that meant. And I wanted to, change the way I did work. I wanted to figure out how can I discover more meaningful methodology that's not this linear way of thinking. I knew that going into my PhD program. Fast forward and I have to create this, this document that kind of explains why some of the things I'm talking about are problematic and what is already known about some of these things in the literature. And I find this amazing theory called soft systems theory and a broader field just called systems thinking that had explanation after explanation after explanation as to why people continue to go down the same pathways of linear thinking, heroic thinking, and just ways of doing work that are not really in tune with what people want and need. I'm like, this is exactly what I've been experiencing. And so I was able to find some really great ideas in the literature. So that, that was one kind of foray into things. There's so many elements to this. I'm just going to add one little more aspect to that example, and then we can I can add more on if, if the conversation goes there. Um, something that was really cool was that kind of helped me just frame what is the problem. When it came down to my methodology and figure out what am I going to do, I knew I had to do action research because my the, the team I was on there kind of re almost required it. But I was like, okay, well, how do I go out and do work in a way that's not the same way that I'm complaining about? How do I use these new ideas to inform the way I design methodology differently? 
And so I, I, I drew from several things, including adult learning theory and, and action research, which has m many different uh, origin fields that have their own theoretical frameworks. But one in particular that I used, I continue to use, was this idea of soft systems methodology in this case. And the coolest idea that just blew me away as a practitioner, I couldn't even believe it, was this core idea in soft systems theory that every system or what we call a system um, has a worldview. In other words, there's no neutral system. Everything is designed to satisfy someone's worldview. And that just blew my mind because I had been taught for years that a good capacity builder is one that tries to be neutral and comes into a space and leads people from point A to point B, whatever that is, wherever they think they need to go. And all of a sudden, here comes soft systems theory saying, if you do that, you will by default reproduce the dominant power relationships in that situation because you are coming in with a neutral methodology. And I'm not going to explain that in too much more detail other than to say that that led to new methodological decisions, such as when you go into a situation or tease, be aware of power relationships, create methods that reveal worldviews, that reveal different ways of seeing the world that will allow for generative conflict so that we can get to the bottom of things in a way that I didn't used to do in my previous creative work. It, it opened up a whole world of rethinking how I understood what my role was in a social space with other people and realized, oh, my job is to be a little bit <laughs> a thorn in the side of people without, you know, not in a bad way, but to ask questions and help them see things that they're not talking about. Uh, and, you know, these things probably sound obvious to people, but at the time they weren't to me. And it was that theory, soft systems theory, that told me worldviews, avoid consensus, generate conflict, and use that to really get at the deep cultural issues and problems with power relationships that people are facing in their organizations. So anyway, that's, there's an example of how theory in, in my PhD process opened my eyes to new ways of thinking about practice. Based on the kind of core question, kind of the the what and why of research and action research, I think that's a great anecdote to reflect on in terms of why research in action research is important and what it can do. In my experience, at least for the kind of work that all three of us do, if I am to generalize, I think this is what the best research does. It allows us to better see things that we have experienced or things that we've noticed, but maybe haven't really fully um, deeply perceived, right? So it's like, okay, I've been experiencing this problem that I haven't really been able to verbalize in the best way because I'm not exactly sure I understand it. And then I come into soft systems theory or ecological systems theory or, you know, critical feminist theory. And all of a sudden the curtain has been drawn back and I see things more clearly. That seems to be one of the main roles that research, like really great research for this kind of work does. Um, and theory building does because, you know, that theory, soft systems theory might not be the perfect theory for every context, but it could be for the context in which you're working. And you might find holes in that theory, even as you're engaging in this work. But the great thing about theory and the great thing about research is that it is something that can continuously be updated and refined as we continue to understand the theory applied to the world. Um, so it's not like it's a one-way street, right? Like, um, yeah. I think that as researchers, as action researchers, the research 
to the practitioner researcher and then the practitioner researcher contributing to the theory or the research is that dialogical thing that can happen that really makes for great theory building. I think that your story really highlights why research is important and when research is done well and when research is done that informs action that's what we do it for um and oftentimes we've critiqued research even in this podcast we've critiqued kind of traditional visions of research but the critique's not a it's not a condemnation of all research right it's how do we do research well and for what purpose and i think that's the question for action research that we need to talk about in this podcast i think and it frustrates me because now i sit in a different place and i have a lot of you know doctoral students and i i just i wish they would see theory as a tool like we as practitioners we know how to use tools right like we use tools all kinds of method methods and tools and all the, the work that we do we don't asking often enough what theories those tools are based on um and we uncritically use them but that's another story but a lot of our students are happy to just say this my study relates to this theory in this way or relates in this way or confirms I'm like use that theory like use it as a tool and so to um, quick point on how two theories became very valuable in the fact that they didn't agree with each other in my study so i just already shared soft systems um, methodology and soft systems theory and you know soft systems theory basically says the the systems that you think exist in the world really only exist in your head as a way of organizing things um so it's 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 a way of redescribing human systems as being different from hard kind of uh physical systems like you know bridge building and that kind of thing um so if soft systems theory told me pay more attention to the way you design your your methods when you work with people so that more meaningful conversation will emerge well complexity theory a, a specific theory i use called complex responsive processes theory said hey those guys are full of it the whole the whole systems thinking world all they really want to do is control the world with a different language what you need to do is quit paying so much attention to how you're using your method and pay way more attention to how the world reacts the people you're working with react when you use your methods and continually adapt till you get to meaningful conversation and so what was a, that transformed my way of thinking again because like oh i was doing such a good job <laughs> designing better methods that were taking into account um people's world views and generating conflict by avoiding consensus and now they're telling me that really what's important is not whether i do that or not but whether or not good conversation emerges what's coming out how are people reacting what is being taken up and where is the energy going and so those two theories don't like each other but i needed both of them to be able to explain how the things that i was doing were were helping or not and so that's just a, a kind of an example of saying these theories are not here to be worshiped they're here to be used to hopefully um think about things and approach things in ways we weren't seeing or doing before yeah absolutely this just speaks to a, a article i wrote that's called the danger of a single theory when working with youth in the Peruvian Andes, for example. So it was all about a student voice project, a student voice action research project 
in which I realized that using only a single theory was actually very dangerous because it's reified certain ways of thinking, certain worldviews, and may not actually be responsive to the realities of the students. And for future actual researchers and for other researchers, I think using only one theory is, is actually quite dangerous and having that creative conflict within your own space of the thought and reflection by using theories that don't agree with each other actually continue, for me at least, creates much more generative and rich decision-making for action because action is not just one theory. And so that uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, Ortiz, and it just reminded me of that because I, I feel like I'm, I feel particularly strong about that um, as well in terms of my own experience working with, um, you know, catch speaking community members and being able to reflect on my own theories that I came in with that were actually not correct or not fully correct, right? They weren't, uh, they were partially correct, but the, the parts that they were missing were really, really important for the, the people. Uh, and so being able to listen and shift my theoretical paradigm within myself allowed me to listen better and to also ask different and deeper questions um, because I had that own internal conflict as well. I'm largely hearing that a major part of that question revolves around theory and how theory is incorporated and used as a tool in action research. I think we can all agree that that's a fair point based on what you all were saying. So what and why is research and action research above and beyond theory? Or you can continue going, you know, maybe it is just about theory. I don't know, but I'm curious how you, what both of you think of that, because, you know, Alfredo, you shared that example from your dissertation studies. And I think you know, we've all been through the dissertation process and know that it it's basically required to incorporate theory, but do you continue to use theory the same way that you used it in your dissertation and your action research investigations? I'm kind of posing that question to both of you. And if so, it's pretty cool to hear about that. If no, why not? Or, or feel free to kind of go to that first part of the question and talk more about how you do incorporate research into I guess, non-dissertation action research investigations that you're involved with. I think it, to produce a certain kind of knowledge and to a certain depth of knowledge, some engagement with theory can be useful. But it, but by no means, at least the way I think about things, by no means is action research so theory-driven. And, and I would say even less theory-driven than other approaches. And so... Um, so th those were examples, and I think part of part of the reason I went so deep there was because I had to, right? <laughs> it's like you had to with your with your. Uh, there's an expectation of PhD process that you do that. I think a lot of those what I shared is still useful, but um, let me give you a different example. So, and another way that action research is the research side comes out is through process, and so because of this idea that change naturally occurs cyclically as people take action in their lives they learn from their action that informs future actions as they as they reflect all all action research tries to do at least in the way i understand it is try to make those cycles more explicit of how we take action how we learn using that learning to inform, to inform future action and so that tells me like different from the way i used to work that tells me that in any action research project um Stop every once in a while, reflect, figure out what we're learning, use that learning to ask ourselves, are we going in the right direction still? Change directions. And as you continue to do that with people in a participatory way, you get to a better place. 
And the example I want to give is we've been doing this action research for community health and well-being project uh, for the last two and a half years. It, it has formally ended, but we're still doing some some activities with it. And because I knew it was action research, I knew I had a little, a couple little, I guess, messengers on my shoulders reminding me, hey, when you're working with these community groups, and in this case, we worked with uh, breastfeeding mothers, we worked with parents of kids with autism, and we worked uh, initially with LGBTQ plus community members. And in each case, we were trying to help surface their less than ideal experiences in healthcare settings. We're trying to address problems of health inequity or that are that are stem to some degree from poor treatment in the healthcare system or from just ignoring people's knowledge, particularly marginalized groups' knowledge in healthcare settings. And because we're approaching it as action research, and I'm going to say this to highlight the research part of things, we engaged, of course, in, in storytelling, uh, really trying to figure out who's in the room, trying to give some level of control over what we designed and what we produced to the people we were working with. But as as we told stories, we realized it's not good enough to tell stories if you want it to be research. Yes, that's, that helps people to be able to express things that they haven't been able to express. Not enough people get the chance to tell their story. So there is some level of, of story justice in just being able to tell your story. Felix, uh, Skip Bivens and Joanna Wheel have written about that. But we knew that the stories had to at some point become data, had to at some point become evidence that people could use for advocacy purposes or just to be able to demand better services when they find themselves in a doctor's office next time. And so what we did, the short version of it is, we went from story to what we call going from storytelling to story doing. We heard people's experiences Students and others worked with them to rewrite those experiences into a positive form. We then created tangible versions of those stories through digital storytelling, through art, through infographics, a whole range of things. And then with the Breastfeeding Women Project, we created a zine, like a, a cartoon magazine of community member stories of their experiences um, with breastfeeding and, and in relation to, to health equity. And as we designed these things with them, we also go through a process of saying, how are these related? What What is the bigger story that's emerging? And then how can we use this knowledge to inform action, whether at, at, at events or, or in other spaces? And in two weeks, we're gonna be presenting at the Children's Hospital, a bunch of, the, of this art to show clinicians what people's experiences are. So if we weren't doing research, we wouldn't have gone that far. We would have just said, well, let's create the art. Oh, great. Everyone had a good experience. We learned something. What we say, though, is the point is never the art. The point is never just the story. It's how do we use the art? How do we use the story to find points of in common that, that creates an evidence base to try to change things? And that's research. Whether or not you're bringing in a formal theoretical framework or not, we're treating people's experiences as a source of knowledge and evidence and trying to get them involved in doing so that is only happening because i learned something about action research how have you found yourself in the world of action research want to be interviewed or share one of your projects 
Engage in interactive dialogue with Joe, Adam, and other experts and listeners in the community on Twitter at the underscore ARPod or the Action Research Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on most major podcast distribution platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Action Research Podcast, created by Adam Stieglitz, Joe Levitan, Shika DeWalker, Corey Legasic, and Vanessa Gold.